Last game listed for Frank O'Hara says December 31st, 1969, Dallas at Houston. <laughs> uh, he did not score in that game, it says. <laughs> well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm Peter. And joining me today is just one. Dan is off doing something. I'm not sure what. He's probably still recovering from the surprise of last night. But uh, we really only need this one. You know him. You love him. The editor and founder of ThirdDegree.net, the good Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Well, Peter, how are you doing on this wonderful evening? I believe Dan is at a fundraiser of some kind, so we let him off the hook. I thought he was still drunk. (laughs) Uh, maybe, although he was in the press box for us, I believe. So I doubt he was drunk from uh, that game. All right. So let's just put a lay of the land here. Things couldn't possibly be going better for ye old football club, Dallas. Uh, they are uh, now looking at back-to-back wins. Uh, they probably the best back-to-back pair of games by a debut player in club history. I guess we can have that argument. A stunner of a goal. And to top it off, believe it or not, none other than Santiago Mascara drops a hat trick on the home crowd to beat Colorado last night four to one. It just things are just swimmingly good for FC Dallas. Yeah, I mean, what else could you ask for? They've they've won three of five, so they're three one and one over the last five, and and uh, they have one of the best defenses in the league, and the offense is starting to click a little bit. They're still way behind in goals for, but they're clicking along and, and they're up to fourth in the West and uh, points. And if you want to go points per game, cause they have a game in hand still, they're up to third. And so things are optimistic. Things are looking up. Yeah. And the two wins came against teams that were in relatively good form. I would, I think everybody could agree upon. And in trying to sort out how we uh, get through all of this, I think it makes sense uh, because to go along with each of the games, there's some side stories to go along with it. So how about we just go through this chronologically? Sure. Okay, so we'll start with the game against Houston, and it's a, another debut game for uh, Andreas Ricarte. It's his second game, a second full start for the team, correct? Am I thinking that? Yeah, second full start for the team that night. Um, but the big news of that particular day was the confirmation, because it was ultimately the last day for one Zedek Andrezic, the Cobra, with FC Dallas, as uh, shortly after then we found out that he was sold to a team back in his home country. Yeah, I, I think that the we as much as in the last podcast we had set up that he was for sure leaving the country, and we seemed like it would be likely that he would not be back. I think we were pretty adamant that he would not be back. Boy, they sure moved fast. <laughs> Because not 48 hours later, he was gone in terms of being sold. Now, he was at that game, and we knew he was leaving at some point over the weekend. Um, but, you know, the, this club doesn't hesitate. Like, when a player says, I don't want to be here, they're like, fine, they get rid of him. You know, and I, I kind of respect that, but some people might think that's a terrible way to do business. I figure in the end, with Cobra, um, you had a player that didn't want to be here anymore, and it looks like you've turned him over for a profit. So uh, maybe you've cleared the way for Ricardo Pepe to play a little more. Jesus Ferrer to play a little more. I mean, those are, I mean, that's a salvage of a situation, if you ask me. 
Man, I was really surprised at the, at the uh, reaction to Cobra's departure from the club. Lots of blame placed on uh, the ownership, on coaching, on this and that. And and I think we, you, you and I, Buzz, based on everything that we've heard, is that while there is a little bit of an element of uh, Cobra's unhappiness with his playing situation, there was a whole bunch of off-the-field stuff that was creating uh, additional drama for him that uh, made it easier for him to ask to go away. Yeah, that's what we have been learning. Uh, you know, I've never been able to 100% pin down what his family issue was, but um, both in the goodbye video and the quotes, he was very adamant that this is a family-related sort of move. Now, I, I do feel that there was some displeasure with the playing situation because we've, we, at least well, I certainly have felt that he lost his job, not because of his play, um, you know, and he definitely got hit hard by the COVID lockdown, but um, his insistence that there's a family issue here, I think is legitimate. Uh, and it's one of the things I wanted to talk about today, which is the, the idea that life impact can affect a player, um, affect their ability to perform, they affect their way they're working out and training, they affect the way they are in games. And this can be something as simple as, like we're guessing that Cobra has broken up with his fiance, or it can be the passing of uh, a father, like Ryan Hollingshead dealt with this year, or uh, a baby like um, Barrios and Hara and uh, Santiago Mascara, all of had recently had babies. Um, it can be getting engaged, it can be getting married, it can be moving in with somebody. These are high stress life factors that can impact a player. And it's pretty clear how rapidly Cobra sort of went off the rails in terms of wanting to be here, that something was seriously affecting him. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was uh, listening to a podcast over from England today discussing the Gareth Bale to Tottenham situation and, and, and Gareth's Bale situation at Real Madrid and this concept that nobody uh, associated with Madrid and the fan base or by and large are, are at all bothered by his departure. Like Gareth has just done nothing to ingratiate himself with that fan base other than the fact probably scoring the greatest goal in Champions League history um, for Real Madrid, which solidified their their win in the Champions League, and a bunch of other things that he actually did really, really well on the field. But because of all of the other things and because he never really you know, showed himself to be uh, a, you know, a player of that team in the same way other people have over the over the decades. He just never made that connection. And so I, I was thinking about I was listening to that conversation and then applying that to Cobra, because in, in Cobra's case, it's almost the utter opposite with this fan base. I, yes, Cobra went through a short spell at the end of last year where he scored a bunch of goals. But I think everybody forgets what preceded that and what. I think we all agree if you were just to judge him on his entire base of work, it wasn't that great. And what really colored his favoritism here was the energy and spirit and likability and all of those things that for many people may actually be even more important than what a player does on the field. Yeah. I think in the end, um, didn't, didn't it come down to 20 games and 12 starts and eight goals or something like that? I mean, you know, that, that's a blip on the radar in terms of production and game. You know, it for sure is all about with this guy, his endearment to the fan base, his endearment in the locker room. I mean, there were a ton of people saying good luck to him on Instagrams and whatever else when he left. I mean, he's a fantastic, fantastic guy in the locker room, around the team, and was a great representative of a club. And people latched onto that. And you can compare it to, I mean, just off the top of my head, 
Think about uh, Michael Barrios, how sort of unavailable he has been to the media and how he's really quiet and never really has ingratiated himself to fans that I know of, you know, and so people don't have this sort of crazy love for Michael Barrios when he's been the club's best player and most important player for three years now. So, you know, sometimes there's a disconnect between on-field value and off-field value. Some players get it and some people don't. Some people just want to be private and left alone. Some people want to celebrate themselves and celebrate the fandom. I mean, each to their own. You know, you can't tell somebody how to live their life. But um, in Cobra's case, there's for sure the personality and the connection was everything with that guy. Yeah, and and again, if you're a fan that loved Cobra and you think uh, Buzz and I are being jerks because we poke on his performance on the field, that's totally fair game. Like Everybody can love a player or hate a player for whatever reason as long as those feelings have legitimate uh, basis to them. And, and so Buzz is, I'm going to speak for myself. My concern with Cobra was is that when I watched him game in and game out, I just didn't think he did all the things you really wanted him to do well. And I know everybody's excited about Santiago Mascara's, uh, you know, hat trick last night, <laughs> but you know, it's, <laughs> it's like, is anybody really thinking Santi's going to do three on a night on it, you know, on a regular basis? No. And I don't, and nobody should, but in Cobra's case, there was so much more that we, or at least I felt was not good with his game that how much better the team would be playing if Cobra was the number nine, this team really needed. Now, what I will say, and Buzz, is the one thing that I really did grow to love the guy was that he did provide a level of energy and spirit that I think that this club is desperately missing, and I still think is missing without him in the team. Oh, yeah. There's no question. I 100% agree with you that he lacked qualities in his play. I also 100% agree with you that he brought something in the locker room that they needed more of and brought to the field that fight and that indomitable will he brought to the field they both they needed both those things more than they even when he was here. And now that he's gone, they're going to miss them even more. But it's important, and Oscar Preha used to say this all the time, it's important when you're analyzing players, and this is true of Santi and this is true of Cobra, you have to take out the actual goal scoring or not. Now, listen, when it comes to like a guy like Coleman, if you never score, that's a problem. But when you're analyzing an individual game's performance, you have to analyze the other 99% of it until you get to the moment of the goal. And now, yes, we want guys that can finish. We want guys that can score. But when you're thinking about whether a guy played a good game or not, you know, you have to bring into the rest. Now, when you get into Santi, I actually think the previous game against Houston, he was horrifically bad. And against Colorado in my breakdown today, I actually gave him some credit because he changed the way he was playing in that game. It wasn't just the goals. There was he was actually better across the board. I <laughs> yes. know he's still not great. I know that he's still in a lot of ways his role in the mall, but he was significantly better than he had been versus Houston. Now is he better than Fafa Pico? I, I I don't think so. I think Fafa brings a whole bunch more to the table, but I will give Santi credit for the improvement, you know, and, and he said some comments about um, how he liked Oscar's system so much better, which is, by the way, right mid-block encounter with Oscar. Mm-hmm. And, and Lucci's not like that. Lucci's high press, and he's talked about how he doesn't fit this system. Well, last night against Colorado, because of the way the early game was going, Lucci shifted to a mid-block encounter. Well, right. that's what Santi loved with Oscar. So bang, here we go. Right. All right. So well, put a, put a pin in Santi. I don't want to jump too far oh. ahead because that, <laughs> that really is its own little section of, uh, of this episode because it's deservedly so, oh, I but I, 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 I want to go back. I want to go back to Houston real quick because it was Cobras and I want to kind of, I want to finish up on the Cobra thing. Um, 
I, we all wish him the best. Uh, again, I don't want uh, I, I, people get really frustrated uh, when they hear us bad mouthing or a seemingly bad mouth Cobra. Uh, I will be the first to admit that the dude really grew on me over the course of the time that he was here, and I do think the team will miss him. And I, you know, if Matt Hedges played with that kind of similar personality i think he'd be a starting center back for the national team yeah I, he he would be ml's best 11 every year yeah, yeah absolutely and and that i don't mean to pick on matt about it because but that's the one thing that when you talk to people in soccer circles that's keeping him from the national team is that specific thing communication kind of um vibe mood uh you know that thing is missing out of his game that i think people feel like is necessary on a national team level yeah. At center back. Yeah, Hedges is a quiet leader. Yeah, even like today, he did media today. And like there, there was 10 media on there and the whole thing was five minutes because his answers are quick and to the point and focused. You know, just like he is as a person, which is yeah. fine. It's yeah. awesome. But, you know, if, if he was if he was a gregarious, over-the-top, demonstrative, emotional leader and dictator and people rally behind him, behind his charisma, I mean, it would be – he'd be in the national team. You're right. And now we love Matt Hedges. This is not a yes. criticism of Matt Hedges. Yes. It's just a comparison from him to, to – to Cobra and how different guys are different and, and not everybody is the same. And, and some not, and you need a mix of all those kinds. Not everybody can, you can't have a, a team of 30 screamers either. You got to have a balance, but uh, well, yeah. uh, let me, and to be fair to Matt, I could make that same comparison to any number of players on the roster. I could apply it oh, to yeah. Jesus Ferreira. I could I could, I could put it on, on uh, Frank O'Hara for that matter. That, that, that level of energy is such a, an attractive thing to the fan base um, that I, yeah, it's, it's, uh, really too bad that it all turned out the way that it did. Um, he just, in my opinion, I don't think they're missing, they're losing as much on the field in comparison to how unhappy the fan base is, is that he's leaving. That's my contention. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I, I was just sitting here thinking that if we could have taken Coleman and Cobra and sort of mixed them together, we might've had a pretty good player. <laughs> Except for the misses. Well, yeah, <laughs> but you know, Cobra finishes at least half of his shots, unlike Coleman. But yeah, but here, I mean, but here's the thing with Coleman: you and I both agree that Coleman did so many other things about the game very, very well. He, That's what I mean. He had pace. He yeah. had uh, well. Okay, all right. So I see what you're saying. I'm you're just, just saying take you're chalking Coleman's... up phone, you're you're chalking up Cobra's finishing just enough better that we would have had a better package with Coleman if you had put Cobra's yeah. finishing. If you in take it. Cobra's fire and brimstone and never die and put that in Coleman, in Coleman's complete game, that's a hell of a player. All right. Well, pour one out for the Cobra uh, as he goes back to the Czechoslovakia or whatever they call it. Um, all right. So Houston, Houston comes into this game looking like a pretty hot team. They had uh, drilled a couple of teams or at least one team in the uh, in the in the days preceding uh, coming to Dallas and uh, had kind of uh, laid it on Dallas when the two teams uh, played in Houston not too many days before. But I'll be darned if. Man, we didn't see one of the finest goals in club history by Andras Ricarte. Oh, my God, that thing was amazing. Yeah, I, I was trying to remember. I mean, certainly in terms of a debut goal, I'm just trying to remember of goals that are that good. And there's not there's not a whole lot of them. The one that jumped to my mind was Kenny Cooper's midfield goal. But um, there's Well, been... I'll tell you the other one, and this is the one that makes me worry about this. 
Brian Acosta first game. Oh yeah. <laughs> and never scored again, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't feel like, well, you know, that, um, has said that he likes to assist more than he likes to score, but, um, the quality of that finish is just remarkable. I mean, it's an absolute stunner. Uh, I'm trying to think, I, I really don't feel like in terms of the overall game and that goal, quality of play, quality of passing, instant impact. I mean, forget about like, uh, debuts ever like uh, for new players like coming on strong. This is a mid-season guy. I mean, yeah. When was the last time Dallas had a mid-season guy worth a damn? Let alone come in with this level of crazy impact. It's remarkable how Im- impactful this guy is. Considering he hasn't been playing like because of the pandemic, he hasn't played since way back in March either. You know, and it's not like he was training and playing in South America and he comes waltzing in in great form. It's like he had to get back in shape and get in game form. So it really is well, we- something else. We, we talked about it in the in the Minnesota loss. It was all of the elements of his game is almost like this bizarre dream thing. Like, I can't believe what I'm seeing when I see a guy who has the Mauro Diaz kind of attacking nuance to his game, and he's so smart in passing, and he, he sees uh, opportunities that nobody else does. But then he comes back, and he's just destroying people, getting the ball back, and he's working his butt off. I mean, he really is... Uh, you know, by all accounts at this point, the real deal. And then, of course, he drops that amazing bomb uh, and helps them beat Houston in a Texas derby. And it just couldn't be getting off to a better start for the new Colombian. Yeah, I, I, I will watch this guy play it. I'm thinking to myself, how in the world was this guy still in Colombia at 28, 29 years of age? Now, admittedly, he was a late bloomer, but I, I'm mystified. I mean, this guy's ridiculous compared to the level of what we expect from most of the South American signings that come up here. Uh, mid-career like this did it win did it win mls goal of the week you know what i i remember i voted for it but i don't remember what the result was that's a good uh, question i i Un- we're well, unprepared peter oh, unprepared unprepared yeah well it's uh everybody will get their money back after the podcast <laughs> is over yeah <laughs> uh so we're loving all right so is it's in houston why don't you t- explain to everybody how uh lucci was using ricarte along with tessman and santos uh in that game yeah, uh, that was the first game that I remember Tiago Santos being on a single pivot island like he was. Um, it was the first game Ricarte started, so my assumption is just because of that. There was a single pivot with two eights playing side-by-side, dual eights. Now, you know, we've talked about a lot of times in this formation, even when you get dual eights, one of them sort of the linking eight, one of them sort of the free eight, as we call it. And that was definitely Ricarte's the free eight. Uh, so that was different, and I really thought that I, I liked Santos in terms of his ability to be a single pivot, I thought it was fine because he can focus on being just defensive. And then you get two players linking and creating, and that's really exciting. Um, now in the Colorado game, it shifted slightly <laughs> again. So they went with uh, more of a traditional six, eight, 10 look, you know, with Ricarte playing even higher and, and Tanner being a little deeper and more of a true linking eight. So, it looks like Lucci's going to continue to flip flop and shift and spin that triangle depending on who they're playing and, and, and who they're and what the tactics are of the game. I, I liked Ricarte actually in the slightly deeper role against Houston for me when he and Tanner were both going in that game was really something special. But did you think Tanner played well in the Houston game? I thought he was okay. Um, but I thought Ricarte was great. So it was like, I was willing to take an okay Tessman who hasn't played uh, a lot, obviously, compared to a great Ricarte, because that flipped in Colorado. Uh, Tessman had the best game of his entire career. He was amazing. If you look at his 
his uh, passing chart, you know, just the eyeball test, he was dynamic and the box to box movement was there. What we are used to seeing with the Academy and North Texas. And I think it's just because of confidence from getting a second straight start and that kind of stuff. If you look at this chart, it was all over the place. And Ricarte, maybe a little tired, maybe because they put him a little higher. He came back to the field a little bit. Now, listen, it's, I'm not saying he was terrible. I'm just saying he wasn't insanely amazing. Like he was the previous game. You know, he, he ended up, only having like 30 something touches and had a couple of good passes in the, but the game for a lot of it sort of bypassed him. So uh, I think that the dynamic in midfield is still in work in progress. I mean, it's been two games, you know, and, and the way the personnel have been changing, it's probably going to be different the next game too. So um, we'll, we'll see how that goes over the course of the season. Uh, in the, in the second game, unfortunately, Tiago Santos had an absolute nightmare of a game against Colorado. That was by far his worst performance of the year. It was so bad. I wouldn't be surprised if he were to sit a game. (laughs) That's how bad it was. Yeah. Um, So the other interesting thing that is very clear to me, because Lucci had been experimenting with this three man back line, uh, you know, with the wing back situation, but he, he's stuck now, at least for the majority of the last two games with this four man back line. And I get that in, in one of these games, Hedges was out, but man, this team just looks far more comfortable and uh, capable when they're playing with a four man back line than the three man back line. Yeah. The four man back line, I think is better. Um, the, the three, I, I get why they do it, but it's just not as, polished I, I mean maybe they played it in all the time I actually think that it, they're worse in possession too um, with the five-man back line than the three I'm sorry than the four uh, you know th- th- for some reason the, the passing is crisper and cleaner maybe because it's a little bit more spread out I mean you could you could say that the wing backs are better in the three five two but um, I, I think they I think what Ryan see remember that Ryan quote from a couple of weeks ago where he said he likes it in the four, because then when he goes forward is more surprising. He catches people off guard. I think the dynamicism of him and Brian, Brian Reynolds on the other side is, is tremendous. And when those guys can catch dudes unaware, it's just huge. By the way, Ricarte finished second in the goal of the week voting. I just looked it up. He didn't win goal of the week. No, uh, Philadelphia union, Anthony Fontana on East coast bias. All right. Now the other part about the three man back line is, is that, uh, you know, not every center back can play a three-man back line. There, you know, some center backs are brought up to play as a, as in two and dual center backs. Not ever, and many people grow up in a three-man back line, and they're not good as a pairing of center backs. And that, and and so teams that play three-man back lines are always specifically looking for those types of center backs that are familiar with that formation and that tactic. You know, left-footed center backs, right-footed center backs, all those things. And I I, I don't know enough about. Ziegler's history and Brisson's history and I'm fairly certain I don't think Matt has played a ton of three-man back line uh, you know growing up um, uh, in college and or and certainly not in the pros I, I, that's just all part of why I think it looks a little janky when they do go to that formation yeah not to mention that there's no backups when you go to that formation you know it's like yeah. they only have three center backs really I mean the well, other two are until they Nikosi throw Ryan who can't the, play yeah until right. they decide to throw oh, Ryan in the middle there right that, that was brutal yeah that was brutal but um, I mean we, and, you know Colin Montgomery could factor in there but he's still in San Antonio so I don't know when he's coming back so I wouldn't I wouldn't expect a lot of it other than late game situations like you saw 
Now, uh, the, there was a lot of really good things in the Houston game to talk about. Probably, other than the uh, if the Ricarte goal hadn't happened, I do think the number one thing we'd all be talking about out of that game was the first full start of Brian Reynolds at right back in a natural right back position. Um, man, he really began to display all of the things that you, in particular, have been hinting at for the last few years. Yeah, if, if you've been watching training or any scrimmages or North Texas play or whatever, you knew all these skills that Brian Reynolds had in his toolkit. You know, he's been pressing Reggie hard for a year and a half now fighting for that spot. Now, it was Reggie's to own, but Reynolds was competing and, and making it difficult for him. So we knew people that have watched practice knew that this guy was going to be the next guy. You know, what's surprising is how good he looks. I mean, I expected him to be good, but he looks ridiculous. I mean, like, so good that now pretty much everybody in the family is like, well, that dude will be here like a year, <laughs> and then he's gone. <laughs> because, I mean, we've talked about this before, right? European clubs have a million dudes that are 5'8 and can ball. What they have none of is six foot three guys that can run like the wind. And can run that line all day long. This is Alfonso Davies. Now, is he Alfonso Davies? No. Tap the brakes. Well, not even close. I mean, he's way behind Alfonso Davies. But he has the raw skill set that makes people go, holy crap, could he be an Alfonso Davies? So you can see why. One reason why I think they didn't play him very much when Reggie was gone, because they didn't want this cat out of the bag in a sense, you know, and want people to just come in and swipe him before they even got a chance to play him. So... I mean, I'm I'm kind of with the general consensus for everybody is that if we get two years out of the guy here, that's going to be ecstatic because uh, his ability to play, you know, one into the other, and even when he does make a mistake, which happens, he's a kid, his recovery pace to get back. I mean, like like what you you said, even jogging, he's faster than everybody oh, else. Oh yeah, yeah. I, when I was you know because I finally got to go to a game last night. Uh, thanks, Deke. Um, uh, I watching him just cover space at full sprint. And even jogging, like when he was just making a recovery run back at a, at a jogging pace, I think he's faster than Hara runs at full pace. Yeah, it, it's insane how fast that kid is. Yeah, but but I I do want to my one observation is when you watch him play and you try to compare against Reggie, he and Reggie almost possess opposite. Uh, uh, um, the best parts of their games are the opposites. Reggie is a better defender than Brian is, and Brian is a better attacker and crosser of the ball than Reggie was. And 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 Reggie was pretty good at that. He was getting better, but uh, Reynolds is another level at that part of it. Yeah, Reynolds obviously grew up as an attacker. You know, he was a winger up until really he went to the 19s. I don't know if you if you can remember far enough back when he was at the U17 oh, World Cup. No, I, yeah. Yeah, he was a right wing. I mean, he didn't start. He came off the bench, but he was a right wing. And it wasn't until after that year he had signed a pro contract and he was in Florida like the whole year basically. I, I kept asking Oscar about him. He's like, man, I've never seen him. <laughs> He's never here. Um, but it was shortly after that that they began to convert him at FC Dallas when he was with the U19s to a, a right back. Um, and they've used him there and they used him with North Texas. So really the defending is very raw. Um, it's all athleticism and he's learning how to positionally play defense, which is fine. That takes a little bit of time. It's no big deal, but he's a natural attacker. And in fact, one of the reasons they made the conversion with him is his best ability. His best attacking form is when he can start way out deep and build up a head of steam going at people. And that's when he's at his most dangerous. So really this modern attacking fullback 
it's a perfect position for him. And I'll tell you even a funny side story is he went to a, I think it was a U18 camp one time and he made it, they made him play center back the whole game, the whole, the whole time he was there. And like in multiple games, he played center back, you know, because of his size and athleticism. You know, he's, he's halfway decent in the air defensively. He's not was great. Shellis lost, Heinemann, was Shellis Hyman the coach? Yeah, it's, it reminded <laughs> me of Breck Shea. That's exactly right. But, you know, it, people look at a guy with that kind of size and athleticism, and it, it's the Chris Richards effect, right? You look at the yeah. size and athleticism, and you go, oh, man. Now, Richards was an extraordinarily long passer. That was his thing that really made him stand out. And the thing with Ryan is, is you watch him overlap Barrios, and his overlap play, in fact, will free up Barrios some, you know, as those guys learn to play together. Like, there was one the one thing that you and I both noticed uh, against Colorado was that because they went into this mid block, they asked him to sit deeper. You know, there were some times where he's like, "I don't know when to slide," and we were both pointing out, like, "Okay, kid, you should have been 15 yards up the field underneath Barrios right there," and he would realize it too late. You know, so those things will get better, but. Um, the potential there, the upside there. This is why I, for a year and a half, when people have asked me, I actually have said that he has higher upside than Reggie to me. Reynolds does. Uh, yeah, I yeah. agree. I mean, I I don't know how it'll all play out, but yeah. you just get the sense that if he can prove this over the course of the rest of this year and maybe into next year, don't be surprised if July 2021, that kid in this club gets an offer for him oh. because somebody does think he's the next Alfonso Davies. Oh, right? there's, there's already four or five major European clubs that are tracking him. You know, right. it's uh, you know. Now, there's also more downside. Reggie is more stable and reliable. Reynolds is volatile as heck. It could be a disaster some, at, you know, if he loses it. But, I mean, I don't think he's going to look at what you see on the field. It's ridiculous. Okay, so let's wrap up the Houston conversation with this one particular player because that will seg perfectly into the Colorado conversation, which is just how miserably bad Santiago Mascara was against Houston and how surprised we were Lucci gave him the start in that game. Yeah, to be honest, um, when Fafa Pico's been hurt, the, the, the rotating bodies at left wing have not been great. So I actually went into the Houston game just coin flipping between three or four guys like who the heck was going to get out there. Now, I wouldn't have predicted Santi, although I will give him the credit that he did score against Minnesota when he came on as a sub, when he stole that well, goal from Frank O'Hara. Yeah. <laughs> as Dan says, no, he didn't score. He stole the goal from yeah. O'Hara. <laughs> well, you know, in that performance where, where he comes on and gets 20 minutes, it's like five or 10 of it was fine. And we had sort of gotten to the point where we're like, well, that's all you're going to get out of him is these late game 10-minute charges and that's it. And so then he comes into the Houston game and is horrifically bad. I mean, just terrible bad. And like everything is sideways or backwards. There's no life. He's not, he doesn't dribble at anybody. There's no uh, attempts to like, to win a duel. It's a true, it's a horrible performance, but no, I mean, and, yeah. and just to kind of, just to kind of put a bow on that, you can be a person that makes judgments on soccer, uh, on people's performances, just on the eyeball test or somebody that's all about analytics. If you're one of those data nerds, I don't care which one you are. You could even be the perfect marriage of both. That performance was so bad, everybody would go, yeah, that's just, that's never going to cut it. Yeah, I mean, at that point, Santiago was one of the worst five in one, in one of those newfangled, you know, goal-added sort of stats. He's in the bottom five for this club at that point. You know, it's, it's horrible. The, that performance is horrible. There's nothing about it likable. I was like, there's no way in hell he's playing again. Well, <laughs> I thought about it some more, and then I thought, you know what? If, if you're preaching results and you're preaching winning, 
you won against your arch rival. So, and the team overall played really, really yeah, well. The team and was, he was good. part of it. So I looked at the. I thought, okay, you know what? Honestly, I bet you Colorado. I bet he rolls out the same lineup, and that proved to be true. Now, would I have rolled out Santi? No, but I'm not a coach. I thought Santi was terrible. Well, shut my mouth because, as I said earlier in the podcast, not only did he score the hat trick. Now, two of his goals are poacher goals and are not that exciting. The second goal was amazing. That's a fantastic individual play where he stole the ball, dribbled in, and scored all on his own. The other two were just kind of tap-ins. But, um, you know, we were joking that he was rolling the maw, that he was garbage, and then he got three goals, got a hat trick. Well, but, I, well let's. Yeah. I really think it's better if we frame this conversation because you and I, for the first time in a while, got to sit side, you know, essentially a seat apart and watch a game together. We haven't yeah. done that in, I can't even tell you the last time you and I got to do this. And up until the 40th minute, how many times did you and I look at each other and go, Oh my God, it's another one of these Santi Mascaro performances. Look at him. We were talking about watch. Look, look, he's, he's not running. He's not in the right place. Oh, bad pass, bad decision. There he is being lazy again. And then he scored. Yeah. Well, he came to life when he scored and he went from no, no passes going forward to about half the passes going forward. So that's, you know, this is a significant improvement when you're actually passing balls into the final third, when you actually have three key passes. Not only did he score three goals, he also had three key passes, which is the most on the team, to create scoring chances. And he had led the team at one point. He was leading the team in tackles. So it's like, like I mentioned earlier about his love for the Oscar system, when Lucci changed it to a mid-block encounter, that's when he came to life, along with scoring his goals. It All of a sudden, the system fit him, uh, and he was – terrific to be fair now here's the thing with Santi and maybe I'm getting ahead of the putting the car before the horse here but let's talk about him a little bit Santi if people don't know him he is um what's the word he needs kid gloves flaky yeah it's flaky he needs kid gloves I'm not going to go so far as to say he's well physically he's soft but mentally he needs positive reinforcement. Like negative reinforcement doesn't work with him. He's a guy that needs to be built up and told he's good and told, oh, yeah, yeah, man, we got, we love you. You're... Now, Lucci's a huggy guy, a, a support you, pat you on the back guy. So there's actually a good fit there in terms of like uh, Santi needing that kind of stuff. He's not going to respond to an in-your-face, like a Shellis Hyman type. Oh, my God, that would have been a disaster. Shellis would have told me sucked and it would have been over. You know, so he's he needs a little love. He needs some comfort. He needs to feel good. So like when the team shifted into a formation and a system he felt comfortable with, well, there it goes, you know, that then you see a player responding. So, um, you know, it, it was a come together moment where everything was working for him in that game. Now Lucci wants the high press and he wants the Lucci ball. That ain't, that ain't mascara. So big picture going forward. I don't know if you're going to see this kind of performance from him a lot, you know, maybe Lucci will develop some understanding of if I'm going to go mid-block, now I can bring him in and it'll be effective. Maybe that's something we can all learn going forward. Well, when he scored the first goal, which uh, was an opportunistic goal, and, and by the way, and, and credit to him, when the ball pops to you standing there just outside the penalty spot, you know, every coach in the world wants you to do one thing. Don't, over, don't overwork it. Just yeah. pass it into the back of the net. And to credit to Santi, that's exactly what he did. And, and I, you know, I made the joke on Twitter that he's the new Roland Lamar, 
But uh, laughing in my face, the the second goal that he scored was a goal that Roland Lamar would have never scored, no. which because it required Santi to essentially steal the ball from the guy that had been marking him all game, and then had the wherewithal to uh, attack the goal and make another really nice finish. Right, because yeah. those are the finishes people blow all the time because they try to blast it or they try to do something fun- funky with it. Just pass it into the far post, and that's exactly what he did, and he scored a second goal yeah that second goal was a really really impressive individual goal a dan joked on twitter that it was 2019 preseason uh, <laughs> you remember when i thought he might be mvp because he was yeah. on fire for like five games yeah. i mean he was a world beater out there in tucson uh, it looked like this i mean that's what it looked like he was just killing dudes it, like this game and, and then the third the third goal is a bit uh, opportunistic as well, but um, you know, well, people are. You, I think we've all forgotten he almost hit, he almost scored a third goal before he actually did score a third goal. Yeah, he should have four goals in the night. He got really unlucky on that third one. Yeah, it was a moment of we we also joked that like at the end of the year he'll have like four goals and it'll still be all from <laughs> this one game. Uh, you no, can, just to, just no. My my embarrassing uh, admission of the night was is when he almost scored that third goal the first time. I went, oh no, not another one! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God, he's gonna bury me. You watch, he'll get four next game. No, you know. Hey, listen, I, I'm for a guy that had such potential when he came here. Remember, the talk was he's perfect attacker for Oscar's system. You know, he's gonna he's got pace. He could tear guys apart on the dribble. He can create. I mean, none of that stuff have we seen for the year, last year and a half. Well, we saw it in this game against Colorado. Yeah. You know, maybe, I mean, if he'll do this, if, if hat trick aside, if he plays like he played in the game, aside from the goals. After then, minute 40. After minute 40, after they change systems, you know, if he plays like that every game, there'll be a legit intense competition between him and Fafa Pico for that spot. If he doesn't, if he reverts to the old, then he'll just be off the bench. Yeah, uh, I agree, and I and I, I, I'm happy that he that it happened. I'm I'm glad that it worked out the way that it did. I, I I'm just going to reserve real judgment until we see what he can if he can string this over a course of games. Yeah, it's got to be more than one game. One game doesn't you know one game is great, but do it again. And, and again, I I do think in fairness to you and I, all of the criticism everybody should remember. He's one of these this team's three designated players. It's yeah. not like he's just some random dude on the roster. He has a label and a designation of value uh, that could be used if he's not producing. So uh, we'll all just maybe clean the slate and let him go from here and hope it all works out. But he is a yeah. DP. They need to get something out of him. That means he's getting paid up near 600 k That means he's getting paid more than Paxson and Jesus. The only guys that are beating him out are probably uh, – Rato Ziegler and um, Hara, probably. Yeah. Um, so you've talked a little bit about the tactical shifting uh, talk uh, that Lucci did in the game. Right. Um, but what is it specifically that you really thought was the, the impressive part? Because, you know, we, you know, me in particular, criticize or question Lucci's, you yeah. know, uh, expertise and experience here. But we're seeing some signs that things are getting better in this area. Yeah, I think as you and I have talked about many times, I think he still tactically overthinks things before the game. But his in-game shifting, the last three or four has been really, really good to me. Now, in this particular game, you and I even talked about it in the stands. Remember we were talking about in the first half how Colorado was destroying Dallas wide. Remember that discussion, mm-hmm. right? And then right about the time we were noticing that, like, boy, they're really even controlling the whole game and Dallas is hardly having the ball. Well, what happened was because they were overloading the wings and Dallas was trying to press and 
Colorado was easily breaking that press and they were dominating with wing play. So Dallas shifted into a mid block and the press went away. They quit pressing. That was, so that was why like between the middle two thirds of the game, Colorado had, you know, crazy amounts of possession and, and Dallas went from their usual 600 passes down to 350 passes. They sort of abandoned what we call Lucci ball. And they went into this mid, essentially the Oscar Pereira system, a mid block with a counter attack. And they've talked about that. And so I liked that change because that stymied what was working for Colorado and they were able to get their footholding again. Dallas was, and then late in the game, once they were up a few goals, they brought in because they have five subs, which I friggin' hate. They brought in three guys at one time and shifted to a four, five, one, um, and went even into a low block in order to try and close the game out. Now that's a little aggressive defensively, but, um, I'm sorry, five four one. I gotta say mm-hmm. it correctly because it was a three three and three man back line. Five, when he subbed four, on Brisson. Yeah, when he brought Brisson on, it became a three man back line. Well, you and I know in this case it was a five man back line. Right. They sat back and they put four across in front of it and left I think it was Fafa they left up high by himself um in order to try because he was fresh and trying to chase and they Pepe ended up playing they kept having to yell at Pepe to get down and play wide left because he wasn't doing it at first. Um so, you know, it's it's just good to see Lucci. And he did it too. He shifted in the Houston game and he shifted twice in the Minnesota game. I, I like the the ability to recognize that things aren't going well, come up with a solution, change to that solution and have it actually work. I mean, this is like two or three times now in a row where his shift has actually been effective and worked. So I, I like that. I, I would like him to back off a little on the overthinking and maybe using the same lineup for two games in a row is a sign that, that he is doing that. It's like, Hey, we won and we're scoring. So like roll it out again. Now this will be a big test going into the next one going on the road against sporting. Will he revert to his overthinking or will he just roll out a lineup? That's won two games in a row by, you know, scoring plenty of goals. Well, doing that, we do need to ask the question, does Tiago Santos deserve a start after arguably being the worst player on the field uh, relative to the overall team performance uh, for Dallas Ooh, against yeah. Colorado? Was, he was bad. Um, I mean, he was bad literally from minute one. I mean, they almost scored, what, 30 seconds yeah. into the game because of a turnover on his part. To me, it looked like a guy that was just completely exhausted, like he's just hit the wall. Uh, and that's why I think that I'm, and I put in my breakdown that maybe you sit him for a game. Now, the question is, do you think Edwin Cirillo can do it? Even if you put him in a double pivot, is he ready to do it at that level? Or is Brian Acosta healthy enough that he could do it and again in a double pivot type situation? So there are some options there. I'm afraid that Lucci's going to think his cover there is not good enough and that he'll roll Santos out again, even though. I think Santos looks burnt out. I mean, you're going to have a two games a week schedule from here to November. You know, they're going to have to rotate some people at some point. And two road games on the run. Here. Yeah. I mean, at Sporting and where's the other one? Uh, Atlanta. Yeah, at Atlanta. I mean, you're going to need to play some people at some point. You know, uh, this is where in order to sit Santos, do I need to do a tactical shift? Do I go three at the back therefore, so I can have an extra center back behind two holding mids if one of them's not Santos and I go Acosta Tessman or I go Cervania Tessman? Is that enough with a third center back? Maybe that will come into his thinking. Here I am overthinking it, right? <laughs> but you know, when you have a guy play like Santos did and you feel like he needs a day off because he's 31 and it's hot as hell right now. I mean, it's not 100, but it's still 90 you know, and they're yeah. playing two games a week. I mean, that's a heavy load. So, 
Now on the uh, other one, uh, the other pl- uh, player in the middle of the field, uh, Tanner Tessman, we talked about uh, him. You had said that he, you thought this was really the best game of his career. Talk a little bit about the differences between the performance in Houston and the performance in Colorado. Yeah, as I said earlier, when I got ahead of the broadcast, um, he it, for me it was just about confidence. Like it was, he got two starts in a row. He's feeling comfortable with Santos, feeling comfortable with Ricarte, and he just came to life. You know, it was a complete. It, and it was it was the dynamic movement. Like every time I look up, it doesn't even look like he's he's deceptive. Like you're like, is he even running? Except that you look up and he's like 40 yards from where he was five seconds ago. You know, he's deceptive how fast he is. So if you looked at his passing chart, he literally is box to box, sideline to sideline. That's the definition of what that position is supposed to be. Linking eight, right? Box to box. So uh, that that Colorado game in particular is the best game of his entire FC Dallas pro career. It looked like he looked in North Texas. It looked like he looked when he was a grown-ass man dominating entire teams by himself in the academy. You know, this is what we want him to be for his career. He did it all in this game, and it was a tremendous performance. So, you know, can he carry it forward? It'll be the question. Game in and game out. Game in and get him out consistently. Consistency as a pro matters. One game is not a pro. Being a pro is a grind. And you kind of alluded to this earlier. What the oddity of all this was is because of the switch in tactics in Lucci, uh, Ricarte was a little bit more quiet this game. He didn't have all the attacking nuance that we saw and the excitement that we got in the Houston game was a little toned down because the, the, the job was different here against Houston. Yeah. I mean, against Colorado. Yeah, Houston, he was deeper at like an eight, and then Colorado, he was higher at like a 10. Well, then they sat into the mid block. Uh, you know, and they and a lot of the play for both teams was around the sides instead of up the middle as much. So he only got 30 something. I think it was 35 or 36 touches, which you'd like to see a little bit more from that. You know, he he still passed at a really high rate. He still had a, a, I think it was one key pass, I think, you know, so it's all there. The game just didn't find him enough. So it wasn't quite the level we expected. And it was just an, it's just a case of the, the tactics of the game hurt him in that way. The way the game played out hurt him in that way. It wasn't a bad performance by any, any means. It just wasn't the superstar performance because he didn't see enough of the ball, you know. Um, but uh, the, the, the comfort level between him and Tessman was really, really good. Santos, not so much. He had an absolute, you know, we said nightmare. But... Um, you know, if, if Carte and Tessman keep that going, it's going to be very difficult for Acosta and Savania to get back in there the way those guys are playing. And then, you know, because this is the first time that I've seen them in a while in person, we've talked about this. Uh, Michael Barrios, in many ways, is the exact same player he has been for this team, but he clearly has lost. He's not a, his first step is missing. Um, and real, and it really yeah. impacted him in this particular game. Uh, I don't know who number five was for Colorado last night, but that is one large, tall, very fast center back um, who, uh, you know, on uh, on a pretty regular basis, got the better of Michael Barrios. Yeah, Barrios is twenty nine now, uh, and I'm afraid that we're starting to see the first loss of pace. Uh, when a player has built their career with pace, it makes me worry. Now, hopefully, as I mentioned earlier, maybe it's just the new baby off field has got him off kilter. And if you want some statistical evidence of that, I did a thing about it earlier this week. You know, Barrios is still playing the correct way because he's number one, number three in expected goals and number one in expected expected assists. But when you subtract actual goals from the expected goals, he's the worst on the team, both in goals and in assists. So he's in the right spot and not producing, you know, 
at a massive, massive number. Now he still has 15 key passes, which is triple the next best guy. So he's doing everything right except the final shot or final ball. And that's what we mean by him just being off. Like but, he's but just confused. But you know? isn't that pretty much the year in year out story of Michael Barrios? I always feel like every year we get to a yeah. point where like, uh, he's lost. I mean, he's just, he's not producing. Yeah. He's not, there's no assist. And then suddenly something happens. And you can, you can even take that all the way back to the well-documented story of Oscar, you know, telling everybody, Hey, I was getting ready to sell this guy until he finally flipped a switch in an open cup game. Yeah, it's funny. Alex did a funny bit about Barrios produces a lot of assists every other year. And this being an even year, he, he said he'll be down in assists, which I thought was funny. That his big explosive assists here are the odd years. <laughs> so it was, sure enough, right on form, Barrios is not assisting. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not worried about him, as I say, because of, like we said, that like the, the metrics say that he's doing everything right. It's just not clicking for some reason. So... Um, and then the age thing always makes me panic when guys are this age and all of a sudden you're like, what's going on? And it's like, well, he's just 29, he's 30, he's 31. You know, that's all it is sometimes. So hopefully he'll wake up and come out of this funk. Should we call it a funk? Hopefully he'll get out of it and start producing. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you shared a, uh, a, a conversation back and forth online that you were having with Dan about something about the, the, the future of this, you know, the next season of this team and age that was a consideration I had never thought of before. And it suddenly uh, raises a red flag that I hadn't thought about. Uh, and I'm sure you guys will write up something about it here in the near future. Yeah, I, I imagine that over the back end of this season, it's something that we will talk about. But it's just if you if you look at if we want to go through it really quickly, if you look at it next year, if you want to look at the the age players will be during that season, Barrios thirty, Hedges thirty one, Hollingshead thirty, Hara thirty three, Maurer thirty two, Pico thirty, Santos thirty two, Zico thirty five, Zobek thirty one. So that's nine players, nine core players that are going to be in their thirties. So. Wow. It's a it's a looming issue. And now, it's not something you would ever identify yeah. FC Dallas with. No, it's the reverse of if they're good enough, they're old enough. Well, if they're good enough, they're young enough on the flip side. As long as you can perform, you're good you're young enough. But we all know that the slope starts to go down at 30. So players between the age of 30 and 35 for Ziegler are going downhill. So yeah. at some point they're not going to be good enough anymore. So that, you know, and and Hara and and Ziegler are two that played at the high, very highest level, and they're still, even though they're well into their down curve, are still good enough for this league. Well, if you only were good enough for this league, when you go into your down curve, then you're not good enough for this league. And so all you have to try and figure out is when is that curve coming, and, and are they above it or below it? You know, and and the, some of the, that's that's nine core guys that are going to be in the area of concern. The other thing that I, the other person that I want to talk about is Frank O'Hara, not Frank O'Hara, but Frank O'Hara, <laughs> who scored again, a really nice header in this game. Um, and I think this is an interesting conversation on the heels of what started this podcast or this episode, which was the the Cobra situation. Now, I don't remember off the top of my head, it feels like it took forever for, for Cobra to score a goal. 
Um, and I know that a lot of people are still uh, got question marks over their head about Hara, but he has scored. How many goals is he on now? Uh, it's this... three in the last four. I don't remember three. how many in his total. Yeah, so it, let's just use that. I, Cobra n- was nowhere near that productive this early in his time with FC Dallas. And um, there is uh, uh, several different elements to Hara's game. Now, he doesn't have the personality, and he doesn't always look like um, he's as intense as, as Cobra was. But I have to give the guy a, a, a continued credit because I've seen him put out moments of energy and effort and tracking back, coming back to get balls. In fact, I swear it was probably the 70th minute, 75th minute. He sprinted 35, 40 yards to come uh, uh, clear a ball out at the midline right in front of the benches uh, that I just, you know, I was really impressed by for a guy that's 33 years old, 34, whatever he is. Um, and I, I, there are lots of things about this dude's game I just really like. Yeah, I, I've said this already that I that I struggle to move past the pace, but um, I'm, I'm learning to get over it, and I've been learning to go over it for a couple of weeks now. The the goal is a nice darting dive move, and then fade to score. Um, but you have to like, I, like you say, I like how hard he's working for the team. Like he's grinding. And I like that. I like guys that are, uh, as you say, chasing back in the 70th minute guys that are still making the runs. Now, is he make that front post speed run? No, he doesn't because he knows he's not going to beat that guy to the front post. He, he does a dive and fade, or he does a dive and check to the other win, other post. You know, he, he's he's making these subtle moves to create space for himself. You're never going to get that, I'm going to beat you to the front post that Barrios or Pepe or a million other guys would try. He's never going to try it because he knows he's not going to win that run. But and the thing I wanted to particularly notice about that goal was his celebration, which was intense. But specifically, it was intense, and he ran over to Ziegler and hugged Ziegler. Now, you remember that he and Ziegler had the disagreement over the penalty, and Hara was halfway down the locker room by the time Ziegler scored it, you know, just a few weeks ago. So credit to Hara for attempting to ingratiate himself to the teammate and his captain by going over and rewarding his captain for the good corner and celebrating with him. So I I love that. I mean, that's a great veteran understanding by Hara to realize that he needed to do a little work to win over his teammates and that his work rate is carrying over and his play. And he's going 90 minutes with, or as long as they leave him on the field, it's not 90 minutes, but uh, putting in effort and work and that'll, that'll ingratiate you to your teammates and make things a lot better. Yeah, I just happened to look while you were talking. That tackle happened in the 67th minute, not the 70th minute. Uh, and he also had three recoveries in their uh, ha- in their own defending half of the field, which is pretty phenomenal for a, for a 32-year-old forward. Um, I appreciate that about his game. Yeah, he's willing to press and he's willing to work and, and defensively, not just work offensively, but work defensively, work for the team, and that, that'll go a long way. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, you know, the other person that I really feel like deserves uh, a special shout out here uh, on this podcast is Kyle Zobeck. I, I can't tell you how impressed, it, how impressed I have been uh, with his performances uh, since he took over from Maurer. This is, again, a guy where if you hadn't seen training, you wouldn't know. I don't mean you. I mean, one in general. Like when he first got here the second time around. Uh, he was not very good and he's put in a lot of work and training and the dude works his tail off. He's a phenomenal teammate. 
He never is sour or grumpy. He always works hard. And he's vastly, vastly improved his game. Now, you could tell from watching him, communication is one of his strong points, particularly oh, yeah. when he, he trains with the young guys all the time because he's the second or third keeper. So he is coaching up kids and training all the time, defenders about where to be, how to read, you know, clearly understands the game. Um, you know, his positioning is really good. His long range stop shopping is pretty good. Where he falls down is going to be his lateral, you know, post to post athleticism. That was Jesse's strong suit or the, like the in close and low, like instant reaction, like drop save. Now he has made a couple of those that are good when he sort of guesses correctly, but um, those are his two weakest spots. I mean, there's a reason why he's the third keeper, but he's been, he's been terrific. I mean, he's making, he's not putting up six or seven saves like Jimmy did those couple of games, but he's putting up the two or three key saves that he needs to make to keep his team winning the game, you know? And yeah. what more do you want from a keeper, honestly? And the fact that he seems to have hurt his groin is a bummer because now he's going to, I mean, they think he'll be okay, but um, you know, we'll see. His long ball distribution leaves something to be desired. Yeah, and that could does. be a big, and that could be one of the things that he's just not good at and would keep him from being a regular starter. But that yeah. said, with everything else going on, I just uh, he really deserved a shout out here on the on the on the podcast. Yeah, his feet are not his feet are not as good as Mauer. That's another big, and that's huge in Lucci ball. All right. So uh, overall, a really impressive win over a Colorado team that is vastly improved. And, you know, I I hate to say this, but we were 10 minutes plus into the game when I turned to you and I said, holy cow, I had totally forgotten Kellen Acosta was on this team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, the, the thing I will say about Kellen is that it did look like um, he, he's gotten back some of his, uh, I, I, I use this word a lot, his dynamicism, like his ability, his range, like he's covering a fair amount of ground. Uh, I actually felt like against Dallas, he was trying to do too much. Um, you know, so I, I think he's finding himself a little bit. I, I don't know that in that team without some help that he's going to ever look really good. He's a guy that needs to be surrounded by. He plays to the level of his team, you know. I feel like, you know, if he's got some really electric guys around him, he'll look a lot better. Yeah, I just didn't see a level of confidence in his game that I remember from his heydays here in Dallas uh, when things were really going well for him. Um, I agree with that. He he did look like his range and pace had returned. He just didn't. I mean, I can't even tell you the last time I saw Kellen Acosta grab a game by the scruff of the neck and just take control of it like he used to uh, way back in the day. It just, it's, it, you know, I'm, if he's better in life and happy in life, that's great. But man, that is a, a, yeah. a really sad case of a, of a career that everybody's over the moon about and just takes a really, really weird direction. You know, remember he said that he'd lost his joy in playing, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it had become a job, a career, a grind. And it is that, but um, you know, it's all, it's still a game. And if, and if he never has regained that, maybe that could be, I mean, I don't talk to the guy. I don't know him. You know, mm-hmm. so I don't know what's going on with him in Colorado anymore, you know, in terms of his joy of the game. So I do wonder if if he if he's just lost that zest, maybe that spice that he had for a couple of years here when Oscar was, you know, go, going crazy about him. You know, I, I mean, right now, I don't think there's a chance in hell he gets back in the national team playing like this. 
Well, he's a, you know he's a super um, you know he's a young guy still. He's got you know lots of miles left. Maybe it's just a function of getting in the right place with the right coach that reignites it for him. Yeah. Um. Uh, and 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 hopefully so because we all love Kellen. We wish the best for him. It was just weird because I had. I was embarrassed that I had forgotten he was even on the team and didn't even pick him out until 10, 15 minutes into it that I was yeah. like, oh, wow, it's Kellen. I forgot about Kellen. Yeah. Uh, I also want to give a, a short shout out. Uh, I actually officially saw those Colorado away kits for the first time in person. And that ever so light cream off white color of the shirt is just fine and it looks great with the white shorts and the white socks so kudos to uh, Colorado for that uh, kit I like it a lot yeah I, I like the top all right as white kits go I, I think it looks better if you mix it up with a little more maroon in the shorts or the socks but um, as white I mean you know me I hate the all white kit look uh, I, I just wish it had some more to it but as white kits go I do like that one um, now the other thing I, I did want to ask you about buzz is, you know, now that Cobra is gone, you essentially have two players and the most amazing thing that has come out of the last two weeks that I'm suddenly hit me like a brick over the head is what does this mean about Jesus Ferreira? Because we haven't talked about Jesus, uh, in quite some time. Is he in the doghouse? Uh, do we, what, what is, talk about a career going off the rails. What is going yeah. on with Jesus? Well, you know, we talked about him not playing particularly well when they played him as a 10, you know, and Ricarte um, has come in and kind of ended that discussion, you know, and they tried him as a wing and he was just okay. You know, he wasn't, you know, one he's game was a winger. A, I know. And he's not a nine either. I mean, he can kind of false nine. You know, we've talked about the ideal spot for him really is off striker, like that's Jason Christ's role. But, you know, nobody uses two striker systems anymore, hardly. The only time Dallas has one is a 3-5-2. The problem with that is then what do you do with Michael Barrios? So it's like all of a sudden Jesus is either behind Barrios or behind Pico or behind Hara or behind Ricarte. And over the last four games, he's gone from starter to sub to two DNPs. So, you know, it's just not going well for him right now. And admittedly, for all we know, he's hurt and they don't tell us because we can't go to training. But, you know, it's just not that he's he doesn't have a primary position to play in this system, even though Lucci loves the kid more than any other kid that ever's come through his system. He doesn't have a primary spot. And now there's a bunch of older guys in the prime of their career that are coming in and taking his playing time. So you may not see him very much. But the other side of that same coin is that roster competition matters, that pressure makes players better. And Jesus has been just getting start after start after start at whatever spot they needed a hole filled, none of which really challenges him and makes him a better player. So it may be now for the first time in maybe a year and a half, he's going to have to battle his ass off to get playing time. And it could be in the long run, that's the best thing that's ever happened to him is to be challenged like this. You know, we, we talk about this with, you can look at any kid that comes out of the academy. When they come out of the U19s, they've been the best player in their team their whole life. They've been the man their whole life. And all of a sudden they're a pro and now everybody's the man. And you have you run into this wall and you have to have the guts and the will to fight through the wall and make yourself make yourself better for the first time in your life. And some guys do it and some guys don't. And if and if you are handed it to you, you don't earn it, you don't improve, you don't 
become a better player. If you are forced to earn it, that's when you become a truly game-breaking player. You know, and we've seen this competition pay off. Look at Tessman and Cervania both last game looked great. And that pressure between them and the pressure of Acosta. Look at Santi racing his game because he knows that Fafa Pico is kicking his butt. Right. Look at Reynolds, who's been chasing Reggie for two years trying to get that spot. Look at how good he looks. So it's, you know, I'm hoping that Ricarte and Hara for the next, what are we going to have? Well, Hara maybe a year, but Ricarte a couple of years. Like those two guys are going to pressure Jesus into finding the spot and finding his best game. And, And maybe in two years, we'll be talking about how great he is. And you and, and and related to all of this is the fact that the transfer window is still open. This team has two roster slots available, and they do really, in all reality, need another striker. I mean, yeah. I, we love Ricardo Pepe, but the kid is you know barely got his driver's license a day ago. It seems like so. <laughs> uh, you know how much weight? I mean, if Haro goes down with an injury, yeah, do you really want to be a team that's you know depending on a seventeen-year-old kid? No, and, you know, uh, Lucci has said to uh, Pepe that you're not just a nine-year forward because he wants him to play wing two because he wants him to press those guys as well. But um, if you just want to do the basic math of it, you know, when you're using a, basically a three-striker system, two wings and a striker, it's like you have a couple of guys at each spot. But remember, Dante Seeley is one of those guys, and you can't really use him effectively. I mean, you can use him for five minutes at the end of a game when you're man up, that's fine. But Pepe's barely in, in a discussion for a, a He's barely you know, older than Dante. He's barely older, but he's a much more complete player. Dante's a, a super raw, tactically speaking. Um, you know, and Pepe has shown, like, remember when I was talking about those Barrios stats? Well, the number one expected goals player on this team is actually Pepe. And he's also uh, second in what, uh, where is the goals added? Yeah, second in goals added. So, like, his play is actually really effective. So I'm okay with Pepe starting as many games as they were comfortable giving him. But in terms of pure math, you know, you could use another striker. Now I wouldn't I wouldn't go out and try and find somebody that's gonna start, that you could use a bench player that'll come in and work his tail off, you know, that you can spot start that'll compete with Pepe, that'll push Pepe, that'll push Hara. Because right now Hara's gonna think he doesn't have any competition. That's not good either. You know, you need a middle of career guy to come in there and actually press Hara a little bit. You know, so I, I would really like them to see them add a striker if it's by trade, if it's by USL player coming up. I mean, I don't think it's Ronaldo Damos, but, you know, somebody from the championship maybe could, could work or bring back Tuomasi. You know, he'd at least provide a little pressure. Hmm. Okay. Uh, let's see. Oh, the other, th- what was the other, the other thing I wanted to mention was a comment that you had made on Twitter based on something that got a video that got tweeted out. Just a real quick mention or discussion about Ryan Hollingshead, uh, place in this locker room as a leader. Oh yeah. I don't remember the specific video, but I remember the discussion, um, particularly post COVID, <laughs> particularly post Cobra. Um, Cobra is an emotional leader, like a cheerleader, but Ryan is an emotional leader, uh, in terms of the whole locker room and the whole team vibe. Um, he now Reto is your captain, but Reto is a very quiet, not quiet. He's a very by the book, very professional, uh, big time, high level player, professional guy. He's very uh, stern, if you will, very serious about his business. He's not a cheerleader. 
uh, Hedges is a very quiet lead by example. Work, 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 follow me that way. But Ryan is the emotional heart of this franchise now and has been for a couple of years. He's the, if you watch the videos they put out of the pregame raw, raw huddle ups, that's Ryan. If you watch training, Lucci will say, Ryan, get the team over here. And it's Ryan that's herding everybody over. You know, it's not Reto, get him over here. It's Ryan, get him over here. You know, it's, he's the guy that's gluing this team together in terms of its emotional stability and its composure. And he's, he's not the captain literally, but he's the captain in the ways that matter in terms of, sorry, not the ways that matter, the emotional ways that matter. Cause what Reto's doing is also important, but um, you know, Ryan is definitely one of the guys that's, that's, I mean, if, if it weren't for Reto, uh, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't be shocked to have Ryan be captain for a couple of years when Reto's gone. You know, it's, it's funny because we started out this episode talking about perceptions about players, um, how fans fall in love with them based on their personalities or what they bring in terms of spirit versus what they produce on the field. And, and when you apply that same logic to Ryan Hollingshead, you have to consider, you know, he's made two considerable errors in the last three games, both of which led to goals, the second mm, one yeah. being the, the, the goal against Colorado. But he's that guy that makes that mistake and you go, oh, yeah, it's, it's okay, it's Ryan. Because there's so much more to what he brings to this team that as long as his overall balance, he's got, he's got credit in the bank for those types of things on, a, on an occasion here and there. Oh, yeah. He's, he's built up so much goodwill with this franchise and this fan base. And, and the way Lucci wants to play is so dependent on having an offensive outside back. You know, you saw no, no offense to Johnny Nelson. I feel like we're slamming Johnny Nelson, and no. it's not. Johnny no. Nelson is a great defensive first outside back, and if you give him a year, I think he could learn to be an offensive outside back. But right now, he's not, and it's like this: the way Lucci wants to play is so dependent. Look how much better this team looks over the last two games with Ryan Brian Reynolds on the right and Ryan Hollinson on the left, two guys that are going to get forward to the other end of the field, and they're going to control the whole outside half of the field and allow everyone else to play narrow in the middle. And without that component, this whole thing doesn't work. It becomes a one-sided team if Ryan's not over there on the left. Um, you know, and everything he does in terms of his ability to play out of positions except center back, obviously. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, and, and he, defensively, as good as he's been the last two, three years, you know that he's good for one defensive dud a game. You know, maybe two. And you just hope they're not goals. Well, the last two games, or last, not two games, Two out of three games, they ended up in goals. But they're still winning, and he, he brings so much else to the table. You know, his value, his adding is, is really, really high across the board, whether it be leadership or on and off the field. So um, he's not coming out of the lineup for a couple of years, I don't think. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's in, what's interesting is, um, you know, as good as everything is now, what we know to be true specifically this season is that Major League Soccer is super flaky from team to team to team. I don't know if there's a team right now that has been hyper consistent. Maybe Philadelphia. They lost a couple of games ago. Um, but most of these, most everybody's been win loss, win loss, draw, you know, a little bit of this. Um, it would be great to see some consistency, but uh, you know, I, with the way travel has worked out and the way the schedule is, I, I, this thing is going to be an absolute coin toss as we go down the road. Yeah, the the team that actually is surprisingly good that no one thinks about is the Columbus Crew, seven one and three. You forget how good that team is. I mean, um, I did until I just looked it up. 
They got yeah, 24 but, points. But in their last but in their last 5 games, they are two wins, two draws and a loss. Well, yep, yeah, there you go. Welcome to MLS parody. This is something right. I talk about with this league all the time. I actually love the fact that this league is like this, sure. that any yeah. given season you can have a champion as opposed to say Germany where it's now what 9 years in a row, Spain there's two teams, you know, I mean France is one team for Italy one team. I hate that. I love this league for its variety and its ability for it to go up and down. And of course, FC Dallas is super fragile. You know, if you were to lose a Hedges, you know, if you were to lose a Ricarte, I mean, if you lose Hara right now, it's like you'd be a mess again. But, you know, because now you have no backup to Hara other than Pepe. I mean, and we love Pepe, but that would be starting Pepe the rest of the way would be interesting. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, hey, uh, was this the first time? I don't know. Uh, is this the first time you've been to a game since the restart? No, like, I, I, I skipped the first Nash, two Nashville games and then I've been to the rest. Okay, because this is my first time back in a uh, a limited stadium situation, and I was very thankful a friend of mine was kind enough to let me sit in his seat since he wasn't able to go, and 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 uh, it was an interesting it was an interesting experience. Uh, what did you? How many people did you do you think were there last night? Like legitimate number of people at sitting in seats? Five hundred. Yeah, it was a tiny, tiny micro crowd. Yeah, but. It was an enjoyable experience. I, you know, I was here. Look, this is all selfish stuff. It was super easy to get in and out of the stadium. Yep. I didn't have to wait very long to go get uh, Coke in that terrible box of popcorn. <laughs> um, but uh, there are some advantages to this kind of limited seating deal. You know, not that the stadium's ever really ultimately super full, but even when the stadium's three quarters full, it's still kind of a drag to get in and out of. You know, if you're thinking about going to a game, now's a really, really good time to go because it's a pretty enjoyable experience. Yeah, nobody's sitting next to me. I love it. I'm spread out. It's like I don't don't have to listen to all the... Uh, the chatter and I don't have to squeeze in next to people and it's not kids aren't crazy getting hot. up yeah. and trying to go to the bathroom in the middle of the game or going up and down the aisle. I mean, it's this, yeah. this actually is a really <laughs> interesting way to experience a sporting event. Yeah. Uh, Except it, for the piped it, in uh, crowd noise. I didn't like that part. Yeah. I, why are they doing that? I don't know. I apparently they've been doing it for a while and I didn't notice cause I usually am closer to those speakers. So, which is funny because I'm kind of up next to him. I didn't hear it, but this game, you could hear it clear, clear as day, and I hated it. I was like, well, yeah, I, I, it was terrible. I didn't like it at all. It is interesting because you can hear all of the individual commentary from the fans instead of like the collective ooh or boo or yay or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You can hear individual people's reactions, and you can very clearly hear the players and the coaches um, in real time. And that's fascinating too. A lot of what we're learning about uh, Zobek is just, it, that's how we kind of learning about his communication skills because it's, it's like you're standing 10 feet away from the guy yeah. as he's directing traffic. Well, it's several people mentioned that about Lucci, that Lucci never stops talking the whole game and they had no idea because they don't, you can't hear it when the stadium is full. And that's true. I don't know if people may not know that about Lucci is he basically talks incessantly to the players directing traffic. And of course, 80% of it's in Spanish because of the nature of this team, but you can still hear him and kind of tell what he's trying to say, you know? So he's a very talkative coach, uh, which is always interesting too. And you can hear all the players all over the field and hear the two Brits sitting behind us were a joy. <laughs> yeah. I love those two guys. I, I don't know them. It was just hysterical listening to him talk about the game. Yes. Uh, so, you know, it was, a, yeah, I'm with you. It's a wonderful fan experience right now. Nobody else go. Everybody stay home. Yeah, no pe- nobody should go to the game. Yeah, it's, it's just terrible. Like Buzz and I go uh, sit in yeah. peace and quiet and enjoy the game in our own way. It's terrible. Nobody go. 
okay, so let's move over to the kids. North Texas Soccer Club, they play Saturday at home against Tucson. Anything we need to know about uh, those dudes? Yeah, this is actually back-to-back games with Tucson. So the season is half over. It's a truncated COVID season. Only two teams make the, the final. It's just a final. So oh, wow. So, yeah, no playoffs at all. So <laughs> Sounds like a Sunday league. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of like a Sunday league, but you know, it, it it's a truncated COVID season. It is what it is, but they have eight games left. I think it is half the season. They are currently, uh, they have the same amount of losses as like a pack of like five teams that are all from like two to sixth place or whatever. They're three wins behind that spot with eight games to play, but they've just brought back Arturo Rodriguez. They just signed this kid, Nicky Hernandez from SMU, who basically didn't train and walked in and started and looked terrific. So now I'm suddenly like super excited about against that kid. Tucson. He played against Tucson. Yeah. Oh, and like, okay. as, as of like Wednesday last week, I knew he hadn't trained and yet they signed him and he played, started the first that day that he signed. So I was like, wow. Holy cow. So that kid looked pretty legit. All things considered, he would have been a senior this year and is probably would have been a high ish draft pick. So that's a good circumvent. Um, you know, getting him uh, and bringing him back, um, Kevin Bonilla is going to not play at Portland this fall because of all the COVID stuff. So he's back, even though it's an amateur contract. So between him and and Eminol, Al, 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 good Lord, Al McGuire, sorry, Eminol, uh, <laughs> both can play right back or left back. That means Che can play in the middle. That means maybe you can sit Waldbeck, who's just been meh at left back. So all of a sudden your defense can be better. And, and Carlos Avalos has rebounded from his losing his contract. He kind of hit a dark spot there and he's rebounded and reclaimed that starting job and looks pretty solid again. So um, they're only three wins out and they're scoring bags of goals and they just got their MVP back. So I think they have a legitimate shot to make a run to get into the final. Now, can, can they do it? I don't know. It's a lot, but um, it's doable. And they're a pretty good team. I mean, they, they, they're well coached by Quill and they play just like the first team does. With the adapt the four three three most of the time, and they're adaptable and flexible, and and uh, uh, you know it's worth a watch if you haven't gotten out gone out and see them. Hmm. I uh, they're going to be they're going to be much better over the back half of this season, and they're hurt by the COVID because they're not getting the loan downs right, and they're not getting some additional academy call ups because basically you can't intermingle very much so without isolating uh, unless you have antibodies, of course. But um, it's interesting. It's going to be fun. They're out of antibodies at 7-Eleven, apparently. Yeah, you cannot buy any more. <laughs> you cannot buy the antibodies anymore. You have to grow them in the field. All right, so uh, on Twitter uh, a couple days ago, you were lamenting the, and how much you were missing watching practice and doing practice observations oh, for the yeah. blog. Have you had any communications either with the club or the league about when they're going to allow uh, media to come start attending practice again? No. Uh, you know, if you, if you read the paperwork, it just says it's the new league protocol with COVID. It, it's in the, you know, the stuff they send out. So This I, makes no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I'd like to be able to go, you know, I mean, I could stand on the other side of the fence, but, you know, it's a... Uh, from everything I understand, it's a league mandate and I'm assuming that it's basically going to be in place all this year. And the best I can hope for is that next year it'll be opened up. I mean, they're pretty stern in the language. They're like, you can't even go to that complex at all on fear of having your credential pulled. If you go up there on a non game event, just show like, I wanted to go to watch Academy training. I was like, man, are they going to, are they going to think not Academy training, but Academy game? Are they going to think I'm trying to, hose them and, and yank yeah. my credential. It's like, I'm going to have to check and see if I can even do that. You know, it's like, 
I, I, it's not that I'm not willing to like be reporter guy and be aggressive, but it's not worth risking my credential just to go. But mainly I just lament the ability, number one, just to be able to go to practice and just be around and sort of see what they're doing and working on, and, you know, and having an understanding of what their tactical issues are and what they're trying to do, like to go into a game knowing kind of what the plan's going to be. Not that Lucci would tell me, but I can just watch and tell what it is, you know, knowing if guys are hurt or like Santi after the game said he'd been hurt. And I was like, has he? I mean, you know, who knows, right? Santiago. You know, it's Santi. He's always hurt. You know, it's, it's, it's just, I lament, I like Dante Seeley, right? I, I can't for the life of me right now tell you how good that kid is or not. I mean, I know he made a lot of progress last year, and I know he's matured a bunch, but I haven't seen him train or play other than the 10 minutes the other day in like seven months now. So I have no idea how good he is to tell you if he should be playing or not. Or how good is Nikosi Burgess? Like, should we be worried that they don't have a real center back or is Burgess good enough? I have no idea Mm because I can't watch. So it's like, it just drives me crazy. I mean, it's what I do, and I can't do it. Yeah, there's a part of me that thinks that this is really smart uh, uh, preventative measures, uh, you know, just locking everything down. And a part of me is, is, is believes that this is actually just a giant excuse to avoid access to the general media because they didn't like it when you had all that access in the first place. I mean, if I didn't think it was a league policy, I would be worried about that. I actually checked. I mean, I checked with the North Texas soccer writers, uh, the, the main guys in Philly there. North He's American, like, you North mean? North American, yeah. And the, the main guy that was in Philly was like, it's like that here too. So it's like, I'm pretty sure that it's, you know, and it has all the language, like this is MSL's official policy. So I, yeah, I don't I, doubt that. The, but The league has to understand how much this is impacting coverage of their teams from independent sources. Or, and that's is what, again, because all of these teams are, are, um, are uh, counted on or expected to, to deliver their own content, both from a league level and a club level, um, I, sometimes I think they enjoy this as, as an opportunity to take advantage of. Man, I hope not. I mean, I, a lot of teams don't have somebody that does what I, I think that oh, I, I do. No, I think most teams don't. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, I, I feel like this is my calling in life kind of, you know, that this is like, well, this is what I do. You know, but, and like not being able to do it is just driving me crazy. Oh, I'm sure, but there it. are but but there are MLS teams that have local media people that are on the beat. You know, whether it be the guy in Atlanta, and there's yeah. you know one in Seattle, and there has been people in Portland. There are people that do what you do, but not independently like you. Like they right. work for a media organization, not an independent organization like you have. But I, I th- this is not. I mean, this may be the safe way of going about it in terms of COVID. But I have to think there's a compromise mm-hmm. that would allow you guys to safely watch practice and not endanger anybody from a COVID stand standpoint. Like my point being is if you're willing to let people come into your stadium and buy concessions, you can figure out an effing way to let the media come watch your practice once or twice a week. Yeah. You know, I, I know that sometimes parents have been able to watch and coaches have been able to watch. I mean, I'd be perfectly happy to stand behind the fence, you know, I mean, that's, 20 yards away and I can still see perfectly fine what's happening. You know, that's what I don't need to get close to people. I don't need to talk to people. I just want can to be we get able to you a, What if we got you a ladder? 
I was thinking about renting a room at that hotel across the street and getting some binocs. <laughs> <laughs> we could get you a GoFundMe made. Go get you a GoFundMe set up for a cherry picker. Yeah, yeah. And I you don't... could like lift yourself up in the air. <laughs> yeah, from the, across the street. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe get up on the water tower. Get some binocs up there. Something like that. Yeah. Um, okay, Buzzard. Uh, well, you know, I can't ask Dan if he wants to throw anything in because this would be about the point where he hasn't said much and we ask him if he wants to throw in. <laughs> something uh but he's not here uh, anything else you want to discuss before we turn this thing off well just speaking of gofundmes as always you know i'm trying to make the run at this thing so if anyone enjoys the podcast enjoys what we do you know patreon.com slash third degree and throw us a bone i do appreciate you mention it on the ticket when i come on there i appreciate that oh no so. my pleasure and you know that we met one of our uh one of your favorite uh uh fc dallas twitter people last night oh we ran into a couple uh, at that game when you and i were sitting there the guy we, in the jersey the is guy, a sad fcd yeah. fan yeah i didn't know that until after the game oh I, I there you go yeah i thought that was pretty cool <laughs> well and a, a, so a, shout out to him and his kick-ass shirt yeah he wore he's, he was back-to-back jersey of the night winner that's impressive and we had <laughs> a couple we had a couple other people come up that mentioned that they follow us or support us. And it's always nice to meet people. You know, it's more obvious when you and I are sitting together, <laughs> but yeah. uh, it's nice to meet people that support us. I mean, it's, they're, they're always very kind and say very nice things. And, and I enjoy, I mean, I'm not going to shake their hand in the middle of a COVID epidemic, but uh, you know, I'll bump fists with them and yeah. it's nice to meet people. And, and I, I really appreciate the support. Believe me with, with my real life sports career and basically long-term hold uh, this stuff is keeping me going so i appreciate it well buzz you're very kind to share the uh kind words and accolades that uh came your way last night they they're for all for you they're they're not for me people hate me so um uh, <laughs> everybody loves buzzard okay and 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 just accept that i have accepted it um all right so dallas now has a run of three games again the most unstable thing in sport is we only know the next three games of the season yeah. for the league this is so weird uh saturday at kansas city then wednesday night the 23rd in atlanta in the robot anus and then home on sunday the 27th uh against uh oscar and Orlando City. Crap, I'm going to miss that game. I just realized I'm not going to be able to attend Oscar's return to Toyota Stadium. That well, I, sucks. I find it very weird because I, I swore that they said that you were only going to play like East and Western Conference over the back end of this thing, but that obviously is not the truth. So either I made that up or they changed their mind. I think everything is so fluid. I mean, like right now, Dallas has 12 game, 13 games left, but they, I mean, how many are they really going to get? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I think we should mention real quick last night was the debut of the team on Fox Sports Southwest. Even though it was on an f- overflow channel, I largely saw people celebrating and uh, people were successfully able to watch the game. And uh, kudos to sports uh, uh, to Fox for throwing out some social media uh, yeah. about the team, which we never saw with Channel Twenty One. Oh, that was the best part was like an instantaneous Fox Southwest social interaction. I mean, listen, the FC Dallas media account right these days is amazing, and the back and forth with the stars has been. Amazing. Amazing. And last night, even the Rangers were trying to get involved in all that stuff. And Fox Southwest was tweeting out all these great tweets about the team. And, and I only like we, we put out a question on the, on the Twitters about like, hey, let us know if you're having any problems. And I think it was maybe two out of 40 responses were a problem. You know, so overall, people found it, I think. So, you know, I mean, I, listen, I as a guy that spent 
30 years working for Fox Southwest. I'm, I'm ecstatic it's on Fox Southwest. I think there's a huge cachet there. But, you know, I also understand what cable penetration means. And I get that we're at like 60% cable versus 100% over the air. So there's a trade-off, but uh, I enjoyed it. I, 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 I want to go watch it and see what the actual differences are, you know, in terms of production value. I just want you to back off on uh, calling the FC Dallas social media account amazing because it won't be amazing until they begin to at least occasionally sprinkle in the fan-sourced and much-beloved nickname of the Huntsmans <laughs> um, uh, uh, in, in the social media because the fans love it. It all was generated from the beer garden, and they, you know, they've really embraced it. You know, the all of that. So it'd be great if the new social media guy uh, started embracing huntsman as well. That'd be yeah. uh, much appreciated. I, then, I need to, I need then, to it, then it would grow to awesome levels yeah. in my mind. I need to drop some more huntsman dumps, I guess. Yeah. You didn't have any huntsman. I didn't, dumps I didn't have a dump week. today. No, you didn't no. have a dump this week. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Gross. All right. Uh, all right. Now officially anything else? No, that's it, man. I, I thought it was a, that was a lot in a show, to be honest. Well, I enjoyed sitting and watching a soccer game with you again, my friend. That's, uh, we don't get to do that often enough, and that was a, a real treat. Yeah, it was refreshing in the time of COVIDness to actually sit with somebody that knows the game and, and knows me, and we were able to just banter back and forth. It was fun. It was proper, it, and it was it wasn't uh, small talk. It wasn't like distracting talk. It was yeah. it was good, uh, good soccer tactical analysis and and complaining or cheering on as needed. Yeah, and nobody told me that they were better than that guy, which is you know that's a high <laughs> water mark for me in a given game. <laughs> Somebody says I'm better than that guy. Yeah. No, 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 you're not. <laughs> I will never, ever, ever, ever tell you I am better than somebody yeah. on the soccer field. No, yeah. I will never do that. All right. Well, Buzz, thank you very much for all your hard work. Go give Buzz some money over at his Patreon account, everybody. Do it. Do it now. Uh, thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. We will see you on another world-class edition next week of Third Degree, the podcast. Insert Dan Whisper here. Thank you.